Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline are you looking to step up to a 4k smart tv one that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution then we've got good news for you because the vizio 65 inch v-series 4k smart tv is now just 348 with all your favorite apps built in you can stream straight out of the box you can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app looking for a smaller or bigger screen vizio offers unbeatable prices on all v-series 4k smart tvs head to walmart.com today and score the 4k tv you've been waiting for this is the Lombardi line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Timmy Abbefe on VSIN, the sports betting network. It's a great day to be alive, and it's a great day to be a better. Welcome inside the VEASAN studios here at the Circa Resort and Casino in downtown Las Vegas. This is the Lombardi Line. Hanging out with you guys on the DraftKings Network. Femi Abebefe, Michael Lombardi out in the great state of New Jersey. Michael, how are we doing this morning here? The morning before Championship Sunday, my favorite sports yeah. day of the year. Yeah, well, I thought last week was your favorite sports day. You can't keep favorite moving around. Weekend. I mean, last week was favorite oh, weekend. Oh, Sunday's oh, favorite it. Now day. Now we're classified. Yeah, I got it. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it'll be, you know, two great games. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting how the underdog, especially the Detroit Lions, play the game. You know, they've got some problems within their structure of their defense in terms of their talent base. How they manage the game, I think, is going to be really critical. Uh, you know, there's always, there's always a way to win a game and I think Campbell as a strategist is going to have to figure it out knowing that he's facing a really good offense with limitations within his secondary so going to be interesting and that line keeps ticking towards the 49ers surprisingly yeah, we, we saw the news yesterday, Kyle Shanahan saying that Debo Samuel will play in this game. He was a full go at practice on Friday. I would imagine that Debo Samuel's availability had something to do with that line moving toward the 49ers as we're sitting at seven juiced heavily towards the Niners, but there's some seven and a halfs out there as well with the total ticking up to 52. We'll get into that game as well as the AFC title game throughout these two hours. And we have two guests that are joining us over these two hours, starting in 30 minutes. Saran Petro, host of the program on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, will break down this Chiefs Ravens game where right now Baltimore is a four point favorite but where I'm sitting at Circa they're four and a half it continues wow. to go in the direction of the Ravens who are the home team hosting their first AFC title game in franchise history then in hour number two at 11 15 Eastern time 8 15 Pacific Jim Nagy senior bowl executive director former NFL scout will join us as we're about a week away from the senior bowl in Mobile Alabama we'll ask him about all the prospects they're allowing underclassmen to play in the senior bowl for the first time how does that change mm -hmm. the dynamic we'll get into all of that stuff with Jim Nagy and who could 
be a, a quote unquote, we put quotes around this, who could be a quote riser after the week in Mobile? Uh, we'll see what has to go down there next week there. We'll talk with Jim Nagy about that. But Michael, let's discuss this coaching carousel because boy, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that we sit here on this Saturday, January 27th and Atlanta Falcons, we all thought it was going to be Bill Belichick. They had two interviews, but they go ahead and hire Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator with Los Angeles Rams, to where <laughs> Belichick, Vrabel, they're out there. And, and, and apparently, I guess they're not going to be coaching in 2024 unless we see something change drastically. Well, I mean, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, said this is a historic day for the Falcons franchise. We've done a comprehensive search. Seriously, now, look, when what is the search when somebody can put six Super Bowls on a table and nobody else can match it? Is that really a search? So, look, this is, uh, this is classic NFL jargon. Now, let's go back a little bit. This team hasn't been to the playoffs in seven seasons, okay? All right. They haven't been there since Rich McKay has taken control of the team in 2004. They've been to the playoffs seven times. They went to one Super Bowl lost to the Patriots. So this is an organization that that tends to sputter in mediocrity, clearly. And this decision uh, to be called a historic day is somewhat strange when you consider that they could have made history if they would have hired the greatest coach of all time. They chose not to. They chose to value, and this is not about Raheem Morris, they chose to value their structure. They chose to value Terry Fontenot, their general manager, Ryan Pace, their, their personnel director, and Rich McKay, who's claiming that he will not be involved, but let's be real clear, he's always involved. He has always been involved. Ask anybody who works in Atlanta. And therefore, you know, they decided their structure was better. And this is what we call in the NFL, guard your desk. This has gone on in so often in the league because people don't want to bring competition in. If you were Terry Fontenot, and you were told, you were told that if Belichick comes in, he wasn't going to get, he, you were not getting fired. Okay. You were told that you were going to do your job. Why wouldn't you want to hire the greatest coach of all time? Why wouldn't you want to have that level of competition come in? Why would you settle for someone that you feel like is the right fit for your team, your culture, the shared vision of success? What is the shared vision of success? You went, you've been the GM for three years. You've won seven games. You've drafted three skill players in the top 10, and your offense was 25th in points scored. Like, tell me what the shared vision is. Your shared vision is better than Belichick's shared vision? I find that hard to believe. So this is all just about people protecting their turf. And, and I hope Raheem Morris does a great job. But I think it's going to be a very challenging job, knowing that the infrastructure is the same infrastructure that hasn't been to the playoffs in seven years. Yeah, I mean, this is the infrastructure that now has Arthur Smith unemployed uh, out there after three straight seven-win seasons. And you mentioned, I want to, I want to ask you this question because you said that if Terry Fondo was told that he would be remaining as his job if Belichick was brought on, do you think that he was told that, or was there more no, no, uncertainty there? Yeah. Okay, you um, know there was. Okay. No, no, I think for clearly he was told that. I think he was definitely told that. I think it was, you know, Arthur Blank did not want to make that change. I think everybody within the organization is nervous. Look, you know, it's funny. I, I just, we just wrote this for the daily coach for monday when bill walsh was late in life he he was going he said goodbye to a lot of people 
And one of the many people he said goodbye to were the people he competed against, whether it was in college or pro, because he felt they made him a better coach, right? Walsh loved competition. He wanted the bar to constantly be raised. He embraced it, right? He embraced it. And so when you have that, that mindset as a leader to embrace competition, to bring people in that could perhaps make you better or compete against people that make you better, your organization becomes better. But when you rely on self-interest, when you basically are constantly guarding your desk and saying, no, 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 we don't want him. I mean, really, seriously, you're selling to the people in Atlanta that the combination of Fontenot and Raheem Morris is better than Belichick and anybody else. Right. You're saying that if you believe that, if you really believe that, then, you know, God bless you. Yeah. And I mean, we know that these guys, I'm sure in these positions, very confident in their abilities. But I don't know how you can be confident when the evidence isn't out there for the Atlanta. There is no evidence. There's no success. There there is no evidence. I mean, Atlanta won seven games that you can blame Arthur Smith for the seven. But I think if you were to ask Arthur Smith and many people have behind the scenes that there was dysfunction within the building. I mean, everybody has their own agenda within the building, right? The, the salary cap guy, the, the everybody's kind of independent within it. And, you know, it's kind of a surprising move. But what happens here all the time is, is Blank has relied on Rich McKay for advice for 20 some plus years. Okay, that's been his main go to guy for advice. And Blank can't see that maybe he's not getting the best advice from McKay. Now, they did a nice job of politically covering up this this whole charade by saying that McKay will no longer be involved in a day to day operation, that an 83 year old Arthur Blank is going to be having the GM and the coach report directly to him. Great. I'm not buying that. Okay, I'm not buying that. No one's buying that. Right. McKay is going to always be involved because McKay is always involved. And so this is what happens. It's self-preservation. And if you're a Falcon fan, this is what you're dealing with. And I look, I like Raheem. I think Raheem deserves to get a head coaching job. Do I think he was a good head coach the first time? No. But obviously, I think he's been a very good defensive coordinator. My commentary about the Falcon situation has nothing to do with Raheem Morris. It has really nothing to do with Belichick because you could say you passed on Vrabel too here exactly. now. Exactly. Yep. I mean, you you passed six Super Bowl winning. You passed a six-time Super Bowl winning coach, but you also passed a guy that you've watched and observed just up the road a little bit, and you've passed on him. And so for me, it, it, it's 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 hard for me to believe that they actually think that their infrastructure, their culture is so good. I mean, Fontenot said this. He said, I believe I'm excited to work side by side to bring a championship to Atlanta. Raheem's the right fit for our team culture and shared vision for success. What is that shared vision? What is it? Did, did Arthur Smith not have that shared vision? I mean, it's a little bit bad. And, you're tr- and you are trusting that Fontenot is going to find those diamonds in the rough. Good luck. I know we talked about this on the podcast, but for our weekend audience here on Lombardi line, like why do you think we're here to where Bill Belichick, six time winning Super Bowl head coach, Mike Vrabel, who's a terrific coach. He did a wonderful job in Tennessee, went to the AFC title game with Ryan Tannehill at his quarterback, like no shade to Ryan Tannehill. But like, I think most football fans would know that he's not one of the elite quarterbacks. Like, why do you think those guys are on the outside looking in of this coaching carousel to where there was eight positions when we started this thing? And now we're down to two and there's no indication of them getting a job. Well, look, nobody wanted Lamar Jackson, including the Atlanta Falcons, who that front office went out of their way to announce that they weren't interested. It wasn't that they weren't interested. They announced they weren't interested, right? They put a statement out. We're not interested. Why would you be? 
You know, why would you be? Why would you trust a front office that wasn't interested in Lamar and put a statement out to build your future? I don't know. The, the reality of the situation is Pete, there's, a, there's a prevailing feeling within the culture of the NFL that coaches that demand accountability, coaches that demand discipline, coaches that work the players, coaches that uh, are trying to compete on a high level is going out of style. Okay, oh. let's look at the four teams we're going to evaluate this weekend, right? Detroit, busting kneecaps. You think they don't, you don't practice? You know, they have accountability. San Francisco, read, read Hargrave's commentary between the difference between San Francisco and Philly, right? Baltimore, they're one of the most competitive teams in the league. Kansas City, come on. It's never going out of style. It's the perception that's going out of style. People may say, well, Belichick's methods are old. Really? Have you ever spent 10 minutes talking to the man about his methods? Like his methods are going to go on forever. It's the secret to winning championships are the methods. It's the same methods, different how they're approached, but the same method in Kansas City, Detroit, obviously Baltimore and San Francisco. So it's just the it's the it's the sense of the league and it's really comes down to who's in control. Guard your desk. It's really disappointing cuz like when you grow up and you watch this sport and you watch this league as a fan, like you want to believe it's that it's a meritocracy, sport. but yes, it's no, not a meritocracy. No, it's the entertainment business. It's the entertainment business. Yeah. Winning really is, and Walsh said this in 1984. Winning is 84. secondary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, winning secretary for a lot of, you think winning's really important in Atlanta? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. They haven't done a whole lot of it recently as well. We'll talk more about the coaching carousel just getting warmed up here on the Lombardi line. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton? You know, watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents – a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human-moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Femi Abbafe, on VSIN, the sports betting network. If you haven't already, check out the new vcin.com. We have a new fresh look, enhanced navigation, and a mobile-first focus. Time is money in sports betting, and the site's pages have been built to load quickly. We also have expanded our educational content and strategy sections for both new and experienced bettors. Check out the new vcin.com today. If you have any questions about the sunsetting of the vcin app, please go to vcin.com slash FAQ. We've got some uh, NBA best bets on the uh, front page of the vcin.com as the association uh, kicks into high gear today with a nice little triple header for us uh, on this Saturday. This is the Lombardi line here on the DraftKings Network. Femi Bebfe, Michael Lombardi, Sarone Petro, host of the program on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City, will join us next segment to break down the AFC title game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. But Michael, let's continue this discussion about mm-hmm. the coaching carousel and we'll go down to Nashville as part mm-hmm. of this theme of guard your desk and teams <laughs> and organizations in search of control as Rand yeah. Carthon, the general manager in Tennessee, has been given the keys to the kingdom. He is keys running the, the show, kingdom. man. And, and he hired yeah. Brian Callahan, the head coach, as uh, Amy Adams Strunk, the owner, signs off on everything there with Rand Carthon now in complete control. And Brian Callahan, the OC of the Bengals, now will be a first-year head coach down in Nashville. And, and with the general manager having control over the person over the coaching staff as well. So I, I've never seen this work in the NFL. I've never seen it work. Uh, I've seen it tried many times. It, it's not we're not basketball. We're not baseball. Uh, it, it has to be the coach has to kind of have control of his team. We've seen owners try to do it. I worked for Al Davis for 10 years and, and he was in control of everything. Everybody reported to the managing general partner which he deserved you to report to. He was truly a, a savant when it came to football. So that makes sense. I'm not sure Rand Carthon and Al can be put in the same sentence, but nevertheless, I think this, this, this move is all about Will Levis, right? You know, Carthon got all the control and all the power. And uh, we know that Mike Vrabel really wanted Brian Cowling to be his GM. Rand came in, they hired him. Obviously, Amy Adams thinks he's done a wonderful job, added talent to the team. We shall see how that works moving forward. But this is about Will Levis. I mean, this is about Brian Callahan's ability, maybe not so much with with Joe Burrow because Burrow is good. 
but more with Jake Browning, who was very good for them when they lost Burrow. So it's about developing the quarterback. Now, Brian, who I've known since he was a little kid, he's never called plays in the NFL before. So this is not only going to be as a first-time head coach, a first-time play caller. It's a little bit like Nick Sirianni. Yeah. But when Sariani went to the Eagles, the Eagles, the difference here is the Eagles infrastructure within their building would help the head coach. Carthon's going to really have to help this young head coach. He's going to have to make sure he gets the right defensive coordinator. And then he's going to have to take a lot off his plate to handle the biggest job of all jobs in the NFL. Calling plays and running a team, managing the game and calling plays. You have no idea how hard that is. That's really, it's hard to manage a game as a head coach. It's really hard to call plays and manage the game. And we see it time and time again, and it's been very unsuccessful as it happens. We, Mike McCarthy, call and play. It all just kind of mixes itself up. So, look, this is about, we're going to go down the Will Levis era in Tennessee, and we're going to see how that goes. I, I, I honestly can't understand. Amy Adams believing that the combination of Carthon and Callahan is better than what she had with Vrabel. But obviously there were things she did not like about Vrabel that I think I could have overlooked. So if an outsider was to read between the lines based on how things went down in Tennessee, are they led to believe that Mike Vrabel was not a fan of Will Levis? Like, is that kind of where like you would kind of, okay. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty clear. I, I think he wanted to put Tannehill in the game. I think everybody that has the the background within the people in the league that I talked to was he didn't think Levis was ready, and there and for good reason, right? You know, the team was built to run the football. The team was built to to go through Henry play action pass. Not that Tannehill's any better, but I think what's happened to the team a lot is, and this goes back to John Robertson when he was the general manager, is they just missed on so many first round picks. The team's defensive talent just went to the wayside. So, uh, yeah, I think they wanted to run the ball, play action pass, play great defense. The problem was their secondary was atrocious. They couldn't cover anybody. The defensive front wasn't as good as it's been in the past. Jeffrey Simmons got hurt. And then this offensive line was a complete disaster, even with the repairs made by Carthon. You know, signing Andre Dillard, horrible. Not a very good left tackle. The drafting of Skronsky maybe will be a good player, but the line was really bad. So it's hard to really judge Levis correctly with as bad as that line was. Yeah, they'll have to get that stuff fixed. And they think that Brian Callahan coming over from Cincinnati can help them do that as he'll be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. We also saw another offensive coordinator get a head coaching job, this down in Carolina with Buccaneers OC Dave Canales will now be the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Six-year contract for Dave Canales, which is a, a nice endorsement there from owner David Tepper. This one was a little bit of a surprise to me. Like I thought that Canales was maybe a year away from getting a head coaching job after what he did with Breaker Mayfield this year. But man, this is uh, He's now going to be the head guy after a few years ago. He was pretty much the the Russell Wilson whisperer in Seattle when I was covering the team. Well, but he didn't really coach. I mean, he never was the offensive coordinator in Seattle. Yeah. They kept they kept bringing people in above him. They brought in Shane Waldron above him. Maybe that was a mistake by Pete, obviously, you know, and they let him go. And, and I think, look, he did a really wonderful job. And the reason he got this job is because of his, you know, they're sitting there in Carolina saying, we had Baker and we couldn't get him to play like this. And Dave did. So that makes him a great coach. It's that line connecting. But to me, the issue here is Dan Morgan. I mean, Dan Morgan was involved in every single decision the past three years in Carolina and now he's the king of all kings he's the president of the team it's a remarkable achievement by Morgan I mean he might want to write a book on how to fall forward it's kind of impressive you're 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 part of the regime that has a two-win season and you get promoted 
I mean, it just goes back to what Walsh often would say about personnel guys. Walsh was not big on scouts or personnel guys because he felt like they were always with the owner, having dinner, drinking martinis while the coach was working, and telling the, telling the owner that the talent's better than the, than the coach is letting on to be. I, 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 that's the only reason you could say it. Morgan, they hired an outside a consulting firm to hire someone to come in and be their football guru and they were and Morgan was in the interviews with those and he got the job it's really remarkable it's only in the NFL I, more people are shaking their head over this hire than any they really are they're shaking their head over this hire than any because he was there he was Scott Federer's number two guy it was everything and he somehow became the president it's truly remarkable I mean, it really is remarkable that he's able to pull this off of saying that, hey, it was the coaching that was the problem. Because if it was just the coaching that was the problem, why isn't Fitterer still there? <laughs> like, you know, like it's like that's like the main. It's like, why is he not still there if the players can play and they just weren't being coached correctly? Yeah, I think to me, look, you know, and, and now they're getting rid of the guy. I mean, Chris Tabor signed a three year contract. Now he's gone. You know, I'm sure Campen's going to go too. the offensive line coach who they valued and made Frank Wright higher. And I think Campen could be a really good. I think it was a lot of internal problems within that building. And Morgan was part of those problems. Like we do you do read the athletic, the, the story about how the building was like the Hunger Games. Yeah. Do you think that's not going to change? He was part of the Hunger Games. So this has got, you know, I hope Canales can overcome this. It's going to be a truly challenging job. And his job is to get Bryce Young to play really well. This is, again, a double down on Bryce Young. Yeah, and, and that's what they want to do. I mean, that Bryce Young, of course, they moved up uh, heaven and earth to go ahead and go ahead and select him in last year's draft. And this year's draft, they have a second-round pick, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, but no first-round pick for the Carolina Panthers, who desperately need a lot of talent to sort of help this team move forward here. Worst team in the league a year ago, and that draft pick now sits with the Chicago Bears. So it'll be Dave Canales, who, like, as a play caller, like what he did this year with Baker Mayfield, I was impressed with it, but we always say just because you're a good play caller doesn't mean you're going to be the good coach we'll see how that kind of translates as he's the head man in Carolina well I mean look you know what he was able to do in Tampa he had you know they won nine games he had great receivers you know they, they let's be clear here they were 20th in the league in offense in terms of points scored they were 23rd in the league in yards gained right they did a wonderful job protecting the football they were 32nd in yards per attempt rushing Okay, they couldn't run the ball against anybody. 32nd in yards. They couldn't do that. Where they made their hay was their ability to throw it up the field. And they had good players. I don't know if you can make that connection from what he did in Tampa to what he has in Carolina because the receivers, Mike Evans, maybe he's going to sign with Carolina. I don't know. But there's a there was a different game there. So it's going to be fascinating to see. You got to give Canales some time to see how this is all going to play out. And hopefully he can do as well as he did. But you just really didn't look at Tampa's offense, especially early in the year and say, oh, my God, this is something really special. Right. This is. But, you know, they were together. Canales and Morgan were together in Seattle. So there's that kind of relationship. I mean, I don't even know how long they spent with Vrabel. Like, how do you bring Vrabel in and then immediately the next day or the next hour hire Canales? Like, and then tell your fan base you're trying to win. <laughs> it's an interesting time here. We're up against it on a break here, but real quick, what's your prediction for the commander's job and the Seahawks jobs of the two remaining openings as of right now? I think it's Ben Johnson in Washington. That's what everybody believes. I think that's what, what everybody expects to have happened. Uh, and the sleeper in Seattle is, is, is Mike Kafka from the Giants. I think they really liked him and they want to go offense. 
Okay. I mean, I know the fan base definitely wants to go offense, reading their timelines. They all want a play caller, a young guy. So Mike Kafka would fit that role there for the Seattle Seahawks. But that's not a name that you've heard too often. So look out for that one with the Seattle Seahawks head coaching position. All right. Saran Petro of 810 Kansas City joins us next to break down the AFC title game. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Timmy Abebefe on VSEN, the sports betting network. Put the VEASAN experts to work for you and start betting smarter with a VEASAN Pro subscription. Sign up on a VEASAN Pro annual subscription and get your first year for only $199. Just use promo code LOMBARDI. You're going to get access to everything on our brand new VEASAN.com website, including our upcoming Super Bowl betting guide with the best bets and favorite prop bets. Remember to use promo code LOMBARDI. Get your first year of VEASAN Pro access for only $199. Sign up today at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. This is the Lombardi Line. Michael Lombardi on the great state of New Jersey. Femi Abebefe hanging out here in downtown Las Vegas and joining us now to help us break down the AFC title game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. It is Saran, Saran Petro, host of the program Sports Radio 810 in KC. Saran, we appreciate you taking the time this morning. You know, we haven't seen these teams play since 2021. It's been a while since they've matched up. Where do you think the Kansas City Chiefs have advantages when you break down how these two teams fit together? Well, you know, I think Lamar Jackson's very good, but quarterback is is the the top spot, and uh, you know Patrick Mahomes is the best in the world. And I think his numbers are down. People have talked about that, but it's largely because of his supporting cast. The receivers have led the league in drops. Now it's getting a little bit better of late. Rashi Rice contributed to that early on, but since the first quarter of the season, he's really developed and has uh, become an excellent uh, you know target for Patrick Mahomes. Maybe even his number one target over uh, Travis Kelsey. And I think that's what the Buffalo Bills tried to do last week was take him away and that opened things up for Travis Kelsey. He proved that he's still got it and he can play. So I think that's, you know, listen, realistically, uh, probably that's it. Uh, because both teams, I think, are, are very good. I think the Ravens are better at the other 52, and they're very good at quarterback as well. But you know, if I had, you know, it might sound like blasphemy, but the secondary for the Chiefs, I think, is underrated. I know Marlon Humphreys and Kyle Hamilton get a lot of respect, and rightfully so. But Trent McDuffie and Legarius Sneed are probably the best cornerback combo in football. Um, you know, the third and fourth corners for the Chiefs are very strong. You know, they, they don't really have a weakness, and that allows Steve Spagnuolo to be quite diverse in that D backfield mix-up coverages because he doesn't feel like oh my god we've got so and so on so and so we're, we're in trouble here they can they feel good that one or two snaps they can put anybody on anybody and survive they thrive with Trent McDuffie and Legarius Sneed on top receivers so again it, it sounds blasphemous but I think a deep dive you might find that the corners of the Chiefs certainly I think are deeper than the Baltimore Ravens corners and I know how much people like the Ravens corners well, I think there's no question that, you know, Steve has played really well with pass defense. I think the struggle has li- has aligned with his ability to stop the run. But l- I want to go back to the offense. I mean, Mahomes hasn't thrown interceptions since the pick six on Christmas Day to Jack Jones. And they've changed the offense completely. 80 rushes over three games that Mahomes has played in, 90 passes. What do you attribute to how this offensive line has become improved and how they have become able to run block more effectively. 
I, I think it's maybe more of a Matt Nagy, Andy Reid thing. I mean, I think it's more of a commitment from them. I think they, you know, spent, if you, if you got them to, you know, a true serum in them and not, not coach speak, not what they're trying to send to their players, not what they're trying to send to their opponents. But I think they spent about three quarters of the year trying to get the team to be what they want it to be, what they, what they vision, envision the offense to be and, and working to make Rashi Rice better. And, and back in the day, working to get Kadarius Tony up to speed, Sky Moore up to speed. And along the way, they kind of dropped Sky Moore. I know Kadarius Tony's listed on the injury report. I, I think it's probably more, you know, mental break than, than it is anything that uh, would be physical there because of the, you know, offsides. And he had another uh, pick six that went off his hands the following game. And since then, we haven't seen him mystically. The injuries occurred right after that. But I think they tried to push this team to where they thought, you know, it could go, where they wanted it to go. And along about the Cincinnati game, they decided we, we have to coach this team based upon what we are. And I think they shifted gears. They, they simplified things. They made a real point to get out of the huddle quicker to let the young receivers, uh, you know, try to get a look at what the defense was, get on the same page, make the same read. They have so many option routes that require the receiver to be on the same page as Pat, to read it the same way as Pat. And they, they were slow getting the plays in. They've admitted it. And guys weren't getting the time they needed, even maybe Isaiah Pacheco, to get a look at what it was he was running into. So with that Bengals game, they really simplified things. And I think, you know, did lean on the, on the rushing attack more uh, because they took part of the passing attack away, so they had no choice. Uh, but to give more to Isaiah Pacheco. And I think also Andy Reid does a good job of trying to pace his running backs to get them to the finish line, particularly this year where Pacheco is really his standout guy. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been a big disappointment, and there's some things he can do. He's, he's grown this year in the passing game. He's had to because Jarek McKinnon's been hurt, but they know Pacheco's the guy that they can really hammer away with. So I think some of it was just workload management during early in the year. Some of it was the offense evolving into uh, you know what works best with the personnel that they have. We're speaking with Saran Petro here, host of the program on Sports Radio 810 KC, talking AFC title game here on the Lombardi line. Well, Saran, a lot has been made of the offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Tooney, he's going to be out in this game. What kind of uh, impact does that do for this Chiefs O-line here? Because there's communication on the interior. The Ravens with Mike McDonald, they try to throw a lot of stuff at the quarterbacks with his blitzes. How do you think that impacts KC up front without Joe Tooney? Yeah, I think he does a lot. I think he's arguably the best guard in football. I think he's definitely the best pass-blocking guard, and that's where it'll hurt him the most. In the run game, Nick Allegretti is a veteran. Uh, he knows the offense. He's played both guards and center uh, for this team, so he's a smart player, so he'll be able to pick up on everything. Any kind of game plan they've got for t- twists and stunts and mobility, he, that shouldn't be a problem. Uh, you know, he, He'll be able to you know try to carry out his assignment, but he's not as athletically gifted as Tooney, but he, he might be a slightly better run blocker, to you know, Michael's point about you know running the football Ball, you know, they might have to lean on that even more because that's his strength. He's a high school wrestler. He's a bigger player, and he's a little bit more physical than Joe Tooney, but he's not the athlete uh, that Joe is in, in the pass blocking. So they lose something in the passing game, and you know maybe they look to, to move Patrick Mahomes around in the pocket, maybe some design rollouts. Uh, you know, I think they'll look for some more misdirections as well. Andy Reid does a great job of trying to set up his blockers with good angles with, with a lot of the stuff they run. Jet sweeps underneath, you know, uh, reverses around the back, bubble screens out on the side that they have no intention of giving the football to, but trying to freeze those backside DNs and make sure everybody on the other side tries to play assignment sound football and give his lineman a chance to work one-on-one. I think, you know, they're going to have to execute very well, and Andy's going to have to press the right buttons, uh, you know, uh, even more so with, with Joe Tooney being out. Soren, I, I keep hearing this rumor that this Andy could retire at the end of the year. Are you buying that? 
my opinion is this is year two of that rumor being out there is, look, I, I did the first interview with Andy Reid when he came to Kansas City 14 years ago. And if you remember, he had just lost his son um, in, in that previous season, had his worst year with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I said to him, Coach, a lot of people think maybe you should take a year and recharge your batteries. Like, did you consider that? And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, I, I'm a football coach. It's what I do. Let's roll. And I think, you know, there are people like Andy Reid and, and Bear Bryant and, you know, that that is what they are. And he's going to coach as long as I think he can physically coach. There may be a day where he says, you know, I mean, he's he's not an agile man in his 60s and having played football and had knee injuries, uh, you know, I had knee surgery a couple of years ago. I mean, if, if he can't physically get out to the practice field and do those things, I think he would walk away. But otherwise, no, I don't buy it. I think he's at that age and he's had enough success that there are some folks in this business that like to uh, just, well, let, let me see. I'll throw it out there vaguely, uh, see if it comes true, and then I'll beat my chest that I had this months before. Uh, I've been given no indication, and I've asked people in the Chiefs. I said, "Listen, I hate even asking this question, but it's out there. Uh, do you do you hear anything from this?" And what I was told by uh, people was, unless he said something to Clark Hunt, and Clark Hunt is talking to people, no, I, I don't buy it for a second. So uh, there it is. If it comes to fruition, there's how it came out because uh, everybody I've talked to in the organization says he's given uh, no indication of that. Now that being said. He He's in his 60s, you know, and, and he may come to the end of the year and say that the battery's on empty, and, and I may be wrong in my read of him, but I would be very, very surprised if he called it quits after this year. Saran, obviously you've covered the Kansas City Chiefs for a long time. You've been around for this whole Patrick Mahomes run here uh, since 2018. Where do you think that this Ravens team stacks up in terms of opponents that they've faced on this run of six straight AFC titles, two Super Bowls? Where does this Ravens team rank compared to some of the other teams that they've faced down the uh, early, earlier in this run? I think it's the best one that they've played, um, and, and unfortunately it's not their best addition that they're going up against them with. Uh, it's their best defense, and if their defense can have a day, you know, unfortunately they've only had five takeaways in their last ten games. That's been a bill. You know, the defense has played great. It's the number two defense in, uh, scoring defense in football, uh, and, and, you know, we mentioned the running, uh, you know, the, the problems with the run. I think that's somewhat by design because they believe, you you know, you throw to win and run when you're winning, and so they, they really focus on taking away that pass. They're going to have to change that up, and that'll be something for them to do uh, to you know tomorrow uh, in the game, but I, I think you know they have the capabilities of beating the Baltimore Ravens. But if they do beat the Baltimore Ravens, it will be by far their single biggest accomplishment of any game because Lamar Jackson's playing at as high or higher, I would say, higher level than anybody they face. You know, Josh Allen would be probably second. Joe Burrow coming through. Joe Burrow. You know, those are the guys. But Lamar Jackson's playing up at that level, and then the Baltimore Ravens are just a complete football team. Number one, running the ball. Lamar's really improved as a passer their receiving course better they're getting mark andrews back they can come at him with two tight ends uh, you know and, and and then defensively their work speaks for themselves so uh look the ravens are a better all-around football team the question is can andy reed be better and can patrick mahomes be better and then can everyone else around him be at their best you know they really haven't played a clean football game all this year even the win over the buffalo bills mccall hardman fumbles it out of the end zone even when they stop the fake punt uh, they only had 10 <laughs> men on the field so you know they need to play their best game in this all right, he is no Seren Petra, host of the program Sports Radio Great 810 job, KC. Seren, we appreciate it, man. Thanks, Be well. You, you, you're the best. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff there from Seren Petra. All right, we'll continue that conversation on the other side. Best unit on the field on Sunday, which is it? Championship Sunday superlatives next here on the Lombardi Line. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? My first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my, my dance, <laughs> Hey, Sarah. I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Timmy Abbefe on VSEN, the sports betting network. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that will help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VSEN only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code VSEN. The crown is yours. Welcome back. This is the Lombardi line here on the DraftKings Network. Family of Michael Lombardi. Thank you to Seren Petro, host of the program at Sports Radio 810 and KC. Joined us last segment, breaking down this AFC title game. And Michael, before we get to our championship Sunday superlatives, I'll ask you the question that I asked Seren. Like, do you think in this Mahomes Reed era that has gone on since 2018, is the Ravens the best team that they have faced so far in this era? 
Well, it's the best team, and I wrote this on on Friday. It's the best team Lamar's had around him, right? I mean, he's got, and it's the best scheme Lamar's had around him. He's got a passing game. This is the most passing attempts he's had in his career as an NFL player. So they've thrown the ball more. He's got better receivers on the outside. There's a propensity to want to throw the ball. They're not trying to run it and then make have him make a play in the passing game with his feet or with his arms. So I think they're a more well-rounded team. I think the change from Roman, Greg Roman's offense to this offense has proven to be more beneficial for Lamar because they're taking they're taking Lamar's strengths, which is throwing the ball in the middle of the field given him an opportunity to make plays with his arm because Lamar has never just been a runner. I mean, the differences between Lamar and Justin Fields are, are, are really dramatic in the sense that Lamar's a better pocket passer, always has been. And Lamar is always able to throw the ball. The first play of most every Louisville game when Bobby Petrino was the head coach was some form of a down-the-field post. And Petrino would tell him all the time to throw the ball at the helmet, hit the receiver's helmet. And he did. He's accurate. But where Lamar struggled in the past offense was throwing the ball outside the numbers, you know, get behind. They don't have a sophisticated pro passing game to catch up. That's all changed. So for me, what I wrote about on Friday, Femi, is that all the prior games are meaningless. They're all meaningless. There's no sense in looking at 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions, you know, seven touchdowns on the road, one interception. All that stuff is out the window because these two teams are vastly different than any of the teams they face since this time. Yeah. And you talked about that leading up to the game last Saturday where everyone was referencing the ATS numbers for Lamar Jackson in the playoffs saying, oh, like he's not a good playoff performer, one in three ATS. And it's like, OK, well, like that was with Greg Roman, a totally different offensive scheme. And we saw what happened in the second half of that game last Saturday. If you laid the nine and a half, ten, you were laughing to the bank uh, with the way that second half played out. So I, I do think it's an interesting dynamic with now the playoff performer of all playoff performance currently in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes coming to town and the market is what it is but let's get to our championship sunday superlatives michael and this is for all four teams combined when you answer these questions think about all four the first mm-hmm. question for our producer elliot bowman is best unit on the field sunday is the san francisco offense diverse positionless uh can move the ball against anyone can run and throw I think they are the best unit on the field, even over their defense, which has some leakiness to it, right? There's ways you can move the football. I think it's the best unit in football because they're such a hard matchup. You know, for example, the prop on McCaffrey's receptions. I think that's a really good play because I think he's going to get the ball and they're going to be able to throw him the ball whether Debo plays or not. So I think that's the best unit. There you go. I just jotted that down. CMC receptions over as a potential there for a prop bet there, because I think a lot of people like to play the anytime touchdown, which he scores every single game. But maybe you look for the receptions there. All right. On the other side, the worst unit on the field on Sunday. Oh, it's clearly the Detroit defense. I mean, it's the Detroit passing game defense is what I should say. They can stop the run. Now, they didn't do it well last week against Tampa. And Tampa ran the football effectively, probably didn't run it enough to slow the game down. But the, the 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 secondary this back seven of the Detroit Lions are probably a draft away from being good enough right they're one more draft away they need more team speed defensively they've got to be able to break up the ball their corner situation now having uh, Gardner Johnson back helps 
but I still think this is the weak unit of the team, and this is the weakest unit of any of the four teams in the playoffs. I think you could have made an argument that they were the weakest unit of any of the four teams last weekend in the playoffs, that Detroit defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, given up they they give up yards to Baker Mayfield, Stafford, Nick Mullins twice down the stretch, Dak Prescott, like everyone's been having career days against the Detroit defense. And that is expected on Sunday for Brock Purdy, and especially some of his pass catchers, IU Kittle, those guys, I think their prop overs have been getting bet heavily throughout the week. Quarterback most likely to have a bad game. Most of this is like a, a Elliot's trying to lure you into a trap to say Brock Purdy. Not so fast. I don't think so. I think it's Jared Goff because, and, and not because I think Goff's not a good player, but because the 49er defensive front's got to show up. Like they've got over $100 million in that defensive front. And it's got to show up. And with Jackson not playing at left guard, we saw last week when he went out, Goff got a lot of pressure. So you got Hargrave or Armstead going to line up against him. And you can't really double them because who's helping with Bosa? Who's helping with Chase Young? You know, this defensive front is going to get one-on-ones. I would expect if I were Steve Wilkes to rush five. I would have five down linemen almost all the time. Two linebackers, five down linemen. You know, and just say, basically, look, make these guys have to block one-on-one and see what I can do. Because if I put pressure internally on Goff and speed him up, you know, when Goff has time to check the runners at first and third before he comes to the plate, he's really good. But when he has to play faster, right, when he has to get rid of the football faster, make quicker decisions like the Rams were able to do in the second half, things start to wilt a little bit. I have a spicy one for that one there. I, I, and I don't mean this as any disrespect. Like I respect the hell out of this guy. And like, he's obviously an all timer already. I think it might be Mahomes, given the fact that he's going against the Ravens defense. Like that defense is real for Baltimore. And like the, if the game gets away from them and he has to start trying to do things that are outside of what the chiefs offense can handle, maybe it gets away and it gets bad for, for Kansas city. Well, I, I- I think to me, Femi, when you play on the road, communication is so important. I mean, last week, their ability to communicate. Will Hill sent me a text said he watched the game and the Buffalo Bills crowd was silent. Well, it was silent because they were only in five third downs, the Chiefs. (laughs) Only five. They only had the ball for 22 minutes. And when you run the ball and get first downs, it's hard to get the crowd up and going. When you're playing Canadian football, that's when the crowd can't really cheer. What do they get excited for? Oh, it's a possession down. We're going to get up. We need to help the defense. So if Baltimore's crowd's into the game and they're forcing 10 to 12 third downs, there's a chance for communication to break down. And then that's the only way. Look, Mahomes is only going to have a bad game if communication breaks down. Mm -hmm. He's not going to have a bad game because he's a bad player. No, he's yeah, he's terrific, obviously, as a player there. And like you mentioned, like the, the in-stadium stuff gets going with like, oh, third down, and the crowd starts to yell. If you're not in third down, that's never going to happen. Coach most likely to commit malpractice. <laughs> that's a good one there. That's a good one. Uh, I think it's going to be Campbell because he's sometimes too aggressive, right? Like sometimes you've got to read the room. You got to understand that, you know, this is this is for a chance to go to the Super Bowl and you can't put all your chips at the middle of the table all the time. Like you got to fight for a better day. I mean, just go back and watch the Super Bowl when the 40, when the Raiders, when, excuse me, when the Patriots are down 28 to three, you know, they, they didn't put all their chips in the middle of the table. They fought their way back into the game. I think to me, that's the one thing that I worry about Campbell is, is he's got this gunslinger over aggressive mentality. And sometimes that can bite you. Yeah. Now I told Mike Palm yesterday, Campbell splitting Kings at the blackjack table. He's hitting 17. He's doing all the crazy stuff there. Just look out for him. Underdog most likely to win outright. 
Under, well, I mean, uh, Kansas City, obviously. I think Kansas City could. I, I, I think the Lions have a chance. they got to play the perfect game. But Kansas City most likely would be the underdog you would have to play just by the point spread alone. What about the offense most likely to score 40-plus points? Well, I think that's San Francisco because they're going against a, a unit that gives up points. I mean, let's go back. The great Nick Mullins, 411 yards passing against this defense, 396 passing. Do you want me to repeat that? Nick (laughs) Mullins threw for 400 yards against this defense, and then 396, okay? Nick Mullins, okay? Now, Kevin O'Connell's a really good play caller, and his offense is good. So if Kyle Shanahan's on his game and Brock Purdy can grip the football and throw it accurately, they have the best chance to score 40 points. The defense most likely to hold the opponent under 20 points. I'm going to say Baltimore. Now, look, in the last three games, Kansas City has averaged 26 points per game. They've really improved their offensive production. As I mentioned earlier, they've run the ball more effectively, 80 rushes. They're running it effectively. Uh, they've limited to net, and he hasn't turned the ball over. But this will be a hard game for them. If they get to under 20, I mean, I think this game will go over the point total of 44 and a half. But Mm. I think if it's likely for an opponent to be held under 20, I think it's going to have to be uh, the Chiefs. Yeah, no, I really like this Baltimore defense. And there is something to be said about Kansas City the last couple of weeks. They faced decimated units with Miami's defense, Buffalo's defense. Baltimore is rested. They're healthy. They're at home where they played their best football. I think the Ravens defense can put one of those big performances together against the best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. All right, that does it for hour number one. Hour number two, we look at the coaching matchups, Campbell versus Shanahan, and of course, Andy Reid versus John Harbaugh next here on the Lombardi Line. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 